Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. Um, all right, so to the production folks, I just got to clear all this up. So I know, um, like for the sake of the video, like standing right here because of the lights, that's probably most helpful. But I, I kind of want to just stand here and talk to you guys. Is that okay? Can I just be here and kind of just talk to you guys a little bit? And so um, if you guys got to adjust, I, I mean, I think, I think for the most part, I'll stand... Yeah, I'll stand here for the most part, okay? I'll stand here for the most part, and I just want to be able to see you, and so hopefully this works some way somehow. Well, my name is Edward. For those of you who I haven't had the chance to meet, I've had the privilege of knowing your pastor, Pastor Philip, for quite some time. And before I jump in, I want to speak specifically to the guests, people who might be checking out this church for the first time you wouldn't necessarily consider Inspire Church your church. And I just want to say to you that this is a beautiful church that you should seriously consider being a part of. Uh, and I say that um, not just because I'm a guest speaker here. I say that because you are surrounded by people who really love the Lord who aren't here to put on a show, who aren't here uh, for religious reasons. I know that you're surrounded by a bunch of people who know that they are sinners, but who've encountered the love of Jesus. And so that's why when we're singing songs, you see people around you raising their hands and crying and getting emotional because this church is filled with people who have had a true experience with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And um, so I, I encourage you, join one of these groups, check it out, and see what God is up to. I also just have to say about uh, the pastor here, one of the pastors here, Philip, um, he, uh, he's someone who takes Jesus, the gospel, the mission of Jesus really seriously, but he doesn't take himself too seriously. How many of you are thankful for your pastor who just doesn't take himself too seriously? Come on, some of you been to those churches where you got them uptight pastors who think they're all that, and everyone and his mama knows that he's not all that. He is just a man who loves the Lord and is just amazed by the fact that God would use it. He's just in awe. He can't believe it. And I think we get along because I can't believe it either that God would use a broken guy like me uh, to preach the gospel. And so I'm excited to jump into this series uh, that you guys have entitled The Table. Uh, and this series is purposed to, oh, you guys are, I just messed everything up. Let's just wait. Here, here's another thing. Like this isn't some stuffy place where we have to like just fix it and we'll, we'll wear and, and, and I'll just keep talking. So. The table, if you can stay focused, we'll, we'll do our best. For those of you who are new, this series is entitled The Table. It just kicked off last week. And so over the next several weeks, uh, Pastor Philip is going to be teaching through the book of Luke, specifically focusing on the narratives in the book of Luke where Jesus is having dinner with, having time with, spending time with people around a table. And two questions are kind of being asked in this series. What would it be like to invite Jesus around your table in your home more often? And number two, what would it look like to invite others around your table? So those are the questions that are being asked. And if you weren't here last week for the kickoff of the message uh, and of the series, I want to make sure you caught your pastor's heart for this series. So I want to put up a quote of something he said because it really reflects what Pastor Philip desires for Inspire Church during this next season, especially as you kick off home groups again. He said last week, I long for Inspire Church to see their homes and their tables 
as places for their families, friends, neighbors, and co-workers who feel far from God. I love that that's your pastor's heart. He just doesn't want your home and your table to be for other believers where you guys can kumbaya and talk about how much you love Jesus, though that's good. He also wants your homes to be a place where people far from Jesus, skeptics of Jesus, people who aren't, uh, didn't grow up in church, he wants people who are far from Jesus to feel like this is a place where I could be myself, where I can encounter the love of Jesus. How many of you are down for this journey of your table being safe for people who are far from God? Okay. So, so that's the goal throughout this series. Pastor Phil, am I on the right? That's the goal. Okay. So as the guest speaker dude, uh, I, I love this goal. I love this goal. But, but the text that I was given to preach from today, um, it led me to think about a, a few things. So I just want you to hang with me because I love this goal. But I'm about to put like a reality statement on the screen. I hope you're not offended by it, but it's going to help set the table. Come on, somebody, for where I'm going to go for the rest of this message, okay? Because if the goal is for your table to be a place where people far from God can feel safe, you need to know this. If you're ready for this reality statement, can you say, I'm ready? I'm ready. Oh, that was weak, because come on. And if you're ready, like, for the rest of this message, if you're ready for the Warriors to win this afternoon, come on, somebody. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, there you go. Here is the reality statement. Your table won't draw people who are far from God, near to God, if you don't have love for God. So just let that soak in for just a second. Your table, your home won't draw people who are far from God near to God if you aren't compelled by the love of God. See, God forbid you start opening up your table to people who are far from God, but instead of experiencing the love of Jesus, they experience something else because you're not experiencing the love of Jesus. Uh, I say it this way on the next line. Right there. Next slide. There it is. What you have the most affection for is what you're most, the most effective for. What you have the most affection for is what you're going to be the most effective for. See, if you spend any length of time with me, I hope you would taste my affections for Jesus. And then you'd be like, oh, this guy loves Jesus. But if you don't catch that, I will tell you, you will experience my affection for Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan sneakers and everything Michael Jordan. And so I'm affected at getting people interested in the greatest basketball player of all time. Don't talk to me about the fake king, okay? So why am I effective in this endeavor? Because I have affection for MJ. And see, some of you... Because you have affection for your political ideologies, if you were to invite people to your table, they wouldn't experience Jesus, but they would experience your political ideologies. They would experience your passion for homeschooling. They'd experience your passion for sports. They'd experience your passion for food. And those are all great things. But how many of you would say, especially as it comes to the mission of Jesus, if we're opening up our table, we want people to be impacted by the love of Jesus. Most. And not by these secondary things. But for that to be true, you have to love Jesus. So, we're going to talk about implications to the table and all of that stuff, but the question I have and the question that I believe our text answers today is, is this. How does a person initiate, maintain, and grow a wholehearted love for Jesus? That's the question that I believe our text answers very clearly today. And it's a question that I hope you're interested in the answer to. There we go. We got lights. We are rolling. Tech team, production team, let's give it up. 
that is called an audible, and they just ran with the audible. So, um, so this is the question we're going to answer. And just in case you're sitting here today and you're like, I didn't come to church to know how I can grow my relationship with Jesus. That's, that's fine. I've got four types of people that this message is for. Four types of people that I hope lean in. Um, and the first type of person is the person who's discouraged or disappointed by God. How do you grow and maintain a, a wholehearted love for Jesus when it seems like Jesus keeps letting you down? And I start off with that type of person because that's the type of person I am today. As I lend myself to this message and who I am and what I'm going through, I don't want to make it all about me, but I am the one preaching the message, right? And over the last several months, I have just, like the young kids are saying, I've taken a lot of L's. <laughs> for, for you more mature folks who might not understand what that means, I've, I've lost a lot. I haven't experienced many W's in life. And I feel like Jesus, for whatever reason, he's on this mission to just let me down. Any of you ever been there before? Just me. The last time I was here, I was in crutches and, I, you know, whatever, because I tore my Achilles. And praise God, look at me now. Look at me now. Oh, oh easy, easy. <laughs> tore my Achilles. Don't want to tear it again. We had you pray for my mother-in-law who had fallen ill. And just a couple weeks after we left here, she ended up passing away. Some of you knew that, you know, I had uh, pastored a church here in Oakland for many years. And that's how I, I met Pastor Philip and transitioned to a church in Las Vegas, which was like my dream job. And that didn't end up working out. So I ended up resigning from there. And I thought it'd only be a couple months before I'd be able to find a new job. And that was in September. Here we are in almost May, and I'm still unemployed. I've been looking for a job. There was one church that was interviewing me, and it was an opportunity. And, man, there was several rounds of interviews only to find out after dozens and dozens and hours of interviews that they didn't want to choose me as their next pastor of their church. And um, just a lot of discouragement, a lot of disappointment. And I find myself wrestling with Man, how do I grow? How do I maintain a love for Jesus when it feels like Jesus is letting me down over and over? And I know some of you, you sit here today and you just feel let down by Jesus. He's not coming through in your marriage like you want him to come through. He's not coming through in your financial situation like you wish he would come through. You're praising him, you're giving your money, you're doing all the right things, but he's not doing the right thing for you, and so you find it hard to grow your relationship with Jesus. But it's not just the discouraged and the disappointed that this message is for. This message is also for the deceived. Now, what do I mean by that? We're talking about love for Jesus, and I think there's some people, maybe not many in this room, but there's some people who love the church and they think their love for church is equal to a love for Jesus, but that's not true. They actually just love the church. They actually just love community, but they don't love Jesus whom the church is for and the community who the church is supposed to worship. They just love the idea of church. They love the idea of community. You know, they call the church the bride of Christ. And do you know it's entirely possible you could love my bride, Rebecca, which anyone who comes into contact with her does, but it's entirely possible to love my wife and not love me. Just because you love, come on somebody, just because you love someone's wife doesn't mean you love their husband. And I just don't want anyone at Inspire Church to be deceived. Just because you love the things of God doesn't mean you actually love God. Doesn't mean you actually love Jesus. And so today we're talking about growing your love for Jesus. Because if you grow in your love for Jesus, you're going to love the church. You're going to love community. But you can love the community, love the church, and not love Jesus. And how do you know this? 
Because once the church or once the community lets you down, you, you don't just leave the church, you don't just leave community, you leave Jesus. But people who love Jesus, even when the church and the community lets them down, they never leave Jesus. And I fail a lot in this Christian life, and I'm going to talk about my junk as I typically do in this message. But I have been so thankful that when my work for Jesus has been taken away, my church has been taken away, my community has been taken away, I still love Jesus. And sometimes you don't know whether or not you love Jesus until all the things that have to do with Jesus are stripped from your life. So I don't want you guys to be deceived. Uh, then there's the category of person who might struggle with growing in your love for Jesus. Because you're just so disgusted at your sin. I believe there's some people in this room today who you're just really ashamed of the gap between who you know God is calling you to be and who you are today. There's a gap. You don't read your word like you should, that besetting sin of drinking or smoking or looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at or going places you shouldn't go or having relationships with people that are unhealthy for you. You have not stopped those things and so you have this disgust and you have this shame with yourself that gets in the way of you growing in your relationship with Jesus. And the good news is the text we're going to look at today is, is going to bless you. It's going to address the person in the room who feels like they can't grow in their love for Jesus because of the sin in their life. Wow. Wow. And then finally, I added this last one because I believe this is the majority of people who are here at Inspired Church. Then there are those of you who just desire to have a deeper love for Jesus. How many of you, by a show of hands, don't fake it, don't lie in church, but for real, for real, you'd raise your hands and say, I desire to have a deeper, more robust relationship and love for Jesus. Raise your hands if that's you. Praise God. Praise God. Well, the good news is Luke 7, 36 through 50. You can open up your Bibles to the text. In this table narrative, we get a a straight line to the question, how can you grow in your love for Jesus? We get a, an answer that's very clear in this second of many table narratives in the book of Luke. For a little bit of context to what's happening prior to this table narrative, what you need to know is, is Jesus is growing in fame and he's growing in reputation. He's come onto the scene. He's began healing people. Last week, Pastor Philip talked about how he uh, forgave Matthew, the tax collector, who had a reputation for being a thief amongst his own people. And Jesus said with a mic drop, I came not for the righteous, but for sinners. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do is in essence what Jesus says. And so he's growing in reputation. And you know, when someone's growing in reputation, you have people who are trying to undermine that reputation. You have people who are trying to see whether or not Jesus is legit. And what we have in this narrative is a man, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, who's really trying to discover whether or not Jesus is the real deal, whether he is a prophet, whether he really is the Son of God. And it's in this narrative that we get the answer to the question, how can we grow in our love for Jesus? So, let's pick it up in verse 36. The text reads, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. A Pharisee was a teacher of the Old Testament law. He knew the law inside and out. And this Pharisee asked Jesus to come over his house. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed her feet and anointed them with the ointment. 
Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And he tells a story. He tells a parable, Jesus does. It's one of the shortest ones in all of the scriptures. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly, Simon. You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is The word of the Lord, this is the second of many table narratives in the book of Luke. And this is the narrative by which we're going to get the answer to the question. How can we grow, maintain, develop a wholehearted love for Jesus? Um, There's a lot of text there. So for those of you who got lost, I love providing just short summaries to show you what just happened. Jesus is invited to dinner. Sinful woman shows up uninvited. The sinful woman worships at Jesus' feet. The Pharisee is disappointed. Jesus checks the Pharisee. And then Jesus forgives the woman. So, what does that have to do with us? Well, here's my outline for today. Here's the roadmap through this text that we're going to follow. First, we're going to look at the sinful woman's love. And I think it's going to provide a framework to see whether or not we have a similar wholehearted love for Jesus. Then we're going to look at the skeptical Pharisee's judgment. The the Pharisee sat back in the cut and he was judging the situation. We're going to look at that quickly. Then we're going to look at Jesus' simple lesson. It's a simple lesson that he teaches And I'm really excited as we close, I'm going to prayerfully give us a gift, a way to respond, another rhythm that you could build into your life to develop, maintain, and grow a wholehearted love for Jesus. Then we're going to take communion, and then we're going to watch the Warriors win game four. How many of us are excited about that? I know I am. So let's look at the sinful woman's love. Let's jump in. You ready? Let's go. The sinful woman's love. So here she comes. When what you need to see first, you, you need to understand how uh, it was not, just like it's not really today, a social norm to show up to someone's house uninvited, okay? Especially if you were someone who had a bad reputation. It says here, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Most commentators say that means one of two things. She was either married to someone who had a reputation for being a super sinner in the city. Or she herself was a super sinner, very likely a prostitute. And so she's being called out. It's being identified. Because let's just be real. We're all sinners. Someone say amen. We're all sinners, but there are some people's sin that gives them more of a reputation for being a sinner. Come on, somebody. Some of you know people like that. Some of you are that person. No, I I don't know. Hopefully not. (laughs) So you need to see that first. Here's this woman who has a reputation as a sinner. She's uninvited. She shows up anyways. She brings an alabaster flask of ointment. So that would be something that had financial worth and financial value to it. And what does she do with something that has a lot of worth, a lot of value? It goes on to say, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. 
extravagant love that she is expressing for Jesus. And so I want to take this extravagant love and and very quickly, I just want to put it into four categories because as we evaluate today our love for Jesus before we talk about how we can grow it, let's just see whether or not our love for Jesus includes any of these categories. The sinful woman's love for Jesus, it broke societal norms. Does your love for Jesus ever break a societal norm or are you always keeping your love for Jesus within the box of what is socially acceptable? It broke societal norms. Her love for Jesus, it cost financial resources. Come on somebody, we're going to take the tithe again at the end of the service. Come on. Does your love for Jesus ever cost you any money? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This woman had no problem busting open her treasure to show her love for Jesus. This sinful woman's love for Jesus embraced emotional engagement. She she was weeping. Does your love for Jesus ever cause you to get emotionally engaged with the person of Jesus Christ? Some of us, if we're being honest, we are a million times more emotionally engaged with sports than we are with loving Jesus. Some of you, uh, moms, I love you. I love you, moms. I love how you love your children. But if you're being honest, some of the emotional engagement that you give to your children, it far outweighs any emotional engagement that you would give to the love of Jesus. Fathers, you're just as likely to be able to do this as well. Some of your emotional engagement, you get fired up over people's posts on Facebook and YouTube and who they're voting for and what they're talking about. You get amped. You get amped. You you even cry sometimes. I can't believe they would vote that way or I can't believe they're posting this. I can't believe it. But you come to church and we sing about the love of Jesus and, and there's a stone cold heart. There's no tear. There's no arm being raised. But man, if you found out there was free barbecue around the corner, you'd get so excited. Oh my gosh, let's go. Does your love for Jesus ever engage your emotions? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That word heart, it talks about the seat of all your emotions, your affections. Man, if I have more affection for the Golden State Warriors or Michael Jordan than I have Jesus, there's a problem, friends. Finally, um, her love involved physical service. She washed the feet of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a strength element. She, she, She went to work. She exerted some physical energy to show love. Do we ever show, uh, and I, I just got to be honest, I'll out myself. This, this one, oh, oh, go back. Oh. Involve physical service. That, that's probably the one that I struggle the most with. I just like to put on the mic and talk to y'all. You know, I just kind of like to come in, put on the mic, but like lifting stuff, carrying stuff around, serving people. Ah, I'm just not the best. I'd rather talk about serving people than actually serving people. <laughs> Just being honest. So as you look at those four things, where where do you see, wow, there's some gaps. I say I love Jesus, but I don't remember the last time I broke a societal norm to show my love for Jesus. I don't remember the last time my love for Jesus cost me something. I don't remember the last time my love for Jesus actually involved my emotions. I don't remember the last time my love for Jesus involved service. Here's how I want to summarize what we see about the sinful woman's love. And I want to just marinate on this for a minute. The sinful woman's love, if I could just put it in a phrase, it was love unhindered by self-consciousness. Love unhindered by self-consciousness. 
And I just wonder in the church of Jesus Christ today, I just wonder at Inspire Church today, how much is self-consciousness getting in the way of your love for the Lord? I'll never forget, you know, I grew up in church and grew up in churches where people raised their hands to praise the Lord. And I, I remember turning a teenager, and I'll see some teenagers in the room, some young folks in the room, and and I would just be so self-conscious about raising my hands in service to Jesus. I'd, I'd start down here with it. You know, I'll just start down here. I'll cool with it like, yeah, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> so self-conscious. What are people going to think? And I'll never forget through just a series of circumstances and just encountering the love of Jesus. It wasn't about putting on a show. But there just came a moment where it's like, who cares? Who cares what other people are thinking? My love for the Lord deserves a surrender. That's what arms raised means. My love for the Lord means a bowing down. It's just he's worthy. He's worthy. But there's some of you, we were singing this song, I throw my hands. And some of you, you're like, oh, I just can't. I can't. I know you're out there. I know you're out there. I'd ask you to raise your hands, but you're self-conscious, so you wouldn't. But what happens? Come on, remember when you fall, fell in love, if you fell in love at any point in time, when you fall in love, you, you don't worry about anything else. You just, you go for it because you're in love. Love unhindered by self-consciousness. And for each of these areas, as we talk about the sinful woman's love, and as we talk about the Pharisee's judgment, I'm going to provide a question for you to consider. And as you go home today, I know groups aren't going to meet this week, but I encourage you, have conversations around these questions, around lunch, with, with your family, with your kids. Here's the first question I want you to consider. In what ways does self-consciousness hinder the expression of your love for Jesus? Where does self-consciousness, and we, you know, Pastor Philip talked about this last week. Maybe you don't want to invite people over to your home to show the love of Jesus because you're self-conscious about what people are going to think about your home. I don't want to share the love of Jesus with my coworker because I'm self-conscious that they're going to put me in this box. Oh, that's the crazy Jesus person. Let me tell you how I'm self-conscious. This works out in my own family. Because I'm a pastor guy, I don't want to overly be seen as the pastor guy in my family. So I'll literally just let people sit away and be like, well, I don't want them to see me as the pastor guy. So let me just, look, I'm, I'll go even further. <laughs> I sometimes, because I am so self-conscious, worrying about myself, I won't even lovingly lead my wife and correct my wife to love and lead in a way that's more honoring to God because I don't want her to see me as the pushy pastor husband. Do you see how self-consciousness can totally derail your love and your obedience to Jesus? And what we see with this woman, she cared not a bit. I'm going to this house. I'm uninvited. Yeah, I'm the sinner woman. I'm going to kneel at his feet. I'm breaking open the jar. Do you know it was culturally unacceptable for a woman to take her hair down? And so she said, who cares? I'm taking my hair down. I'm washing the feet of Jesus. Oh, Lord, help inspire church to have the type of love that is unhindered by being self-conscious. Let's keep it moving. Let's talk about the skeptical Pharisee's judgment. What do we see next? This is really quick and easy to spot. It's only a short little piece of, of narrative here. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, I use blue for what's really important, so pay attention here. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. Before I make the point I want to make, I just want to do a little digression here. Something the Lord put on my heart, and I want to focus on this. He said to himself. 
So he saw the way that Jesus was treating this woman, and in the cut, he kind of murmurs to himself like, why, if Jesus was really like Jesus, the son of God, he would not be touching that woman. He doesn't say it to Jesus. Jesus, why are you touching that woman? If there were other people in the room, we don't know, but he doesn't say like, why is he? He says it to himself. And as you guys enter into a season of gathering around tables and gathering around communities, I just want to lay this point before you. Your inner dialogue is a doorway to the most honest version of yourself. Your inner dialogue is a doorway to who you really are. I don't care about the amens you're giving me right now. I care about the conversation going on in your head about me, about this word. That is the most honest part about you. And my question for you, Inspire Church, is who has access to that inner dialogue? Let me just tell you by experience, because I get in trouble with being a pastor guy, not everyone should have access to that inner dialogue. Let me just say that. That'll be dangerous for you. But someone should. Someone should have access to the doubts you have about God. The doubts you have about God's love for you. The doubts you have about faith. The inner dialogue. And I just encourage you as you embark on community groups for just five weeks, I invite you to take the faith step of as conversations take place, you bring to the table your inner dialogue. Because what we see in the text is Jesus knows what you're thinking anyways. <laughs> Spoiler alert. You can't hide your inner dialogue from the all-powerful, all-present King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So you might as well be honest with him about your dialogue, and you might as well be honest with some brothers and sisters who can help you process that dialogue. Does that make sense? Does that help anyone today? Most people that I know who derail their faith is because they have an inner dialogue about faith, Jesus, the things of Jesus, and never talk to anyone else about it. Or, even more nuanced, they talk to Christians about it who aren't honest about their inner dialogue that they have with the Lord. And so those Christians who aren't honest with their inner dialogue, they're answering with surface answers because they haven't done the hard work of saying, I'm skeptical too. So there's no compassion for people who are skeptical because the skepticism in our hearts has never been worked out. I hope that's not too much for you guys. I hope I'm helping you out. Keep it real with yourself. Keep it real with yourself. Being someone else, being more uh, full of faith than you actually are, that's tiring. So let's get back to the Pharisee now. He said to himself, because he didn't have the guts to bring his inner dialogue in an outward form, he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known so Jesus, he can't be the son of God that he says he is because if he was, he would have known that this lady was a sinner and he shouldn't be messing with her. So I just want to summarize this really quick. The skeptical Pharisee's judgment was simply this. He, he was really ticked off about Jesus' naivety. The fact that Jesus was naive, you must not be a prophet because you're naive to who this woman is. And he was really ticked off about this sinful woman's sin. It disgusted him. Why is a supposed prophet talking to a sinful woman? And so here's, just summarize the skeptical Pharisee's judgment. The unholy are unqualified from God's love. That's the judgment that he made. Because if she wasn't as much of a sinner, he wouldn't have had a problem with Jesus interacting with her. You guys following me? It's because she was who she was... That Jesus shouldn't be interacting with her. The unholy are unqualified from God's love. So I want to ask you now this question to consider as we land the plane on the second idea. What specific type of person do you hesitate to believe that Jesus can have compassion for? Ooh, that's good. That's good work. Good work. 
Come on, just ask it as you go home. You're talking to your husband, you're talking to your wife, you're talking to your family member, you're talking to your kids. Hey, kids. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Ask your parents. Ask, what specific type of person do you have a hard time believing that Jesus could love and Jesus could forgive? Because I'll tell you, it's this type of person that you will be the most hesitant to forgive. It's this type of person who you will most hesitate uh, to invite around your table. We want to be aware of, of who we get frustrated with when Jesus extends forgiveness because it might reveal that we are more like the Pharisee than we'd want to admit. And in light of Jesus being the prophet that he truly is, not just a prophet, but the God that he truly is. He knew what was in this Pharisee's heart, and so now we're going to turn to Jesus' simple lesson. He knew what was in this Pharisee's heart because Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Can you imagine? So Simon's over here side busting like, why is Jesus, why is Jesus messing with that woman? And what happened? Jesus over here, right? Hey, hey, I got something to say to you. It's like, you think I'm not a prophet? I'm about to show you I'm a prophet and so much more than just a prophet. This is our God. And so I just want to say about your inner dialogue, Jesus is going to come after you about that inner dialogue at some point. He is the hound of heaven. He's the hound of heaven. And so he's going to come after you to lovingly bring you to a place where you see Jesus for who he really is. And that's what he does in this text. He tells them a story. A certain money lender had two debtors. See, he saw the state of the Pharisee's heart, and now he wants to correct the state of the Pharisee's heart. And to do that, he tells a story. Two debtors. One owns 500 denarii, owes, and the other one owes 50. What's a denarii? It's equal to like one day's wage. One day's wage. So, for math's sake, let's say you make $60,000 in a year. Okay, $60,000 in a year would mean about $5,000 a month. Are you tracking with me for those who struggle with math? Okay, $5,000 a month. 50 days would be about two months, right? Yes or yes? So that'd be about $10,000. Yes or yes? Okay, 500 denarii would be about two years, just to kind of keep it. Two years would be $120,000. So if you owed a debtor, you had school loans, come on somebody, for either $10,000 or $120,000. And someone forgave your school loans of $120,000 versus the ten, dollars who's going to be the most gra grateful for their school loans being forgiven? The one who's been forgiven for the $120,000, yes or yes? That's the point that Jesus is trying to make there. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. How many of you are thankful that he cancels the big sins, small sins, all the sins? Cancels the debt of both. But there is a distinction for who has the ability to love more. So Simon answered, the one, I love this, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. You ever been there with the Lord? You ever been there with Pastor Philip when he tries to correct you? Come on, somebody. And you're like, I suppose you got a point. I probably shouldn't be sleeping with my girlfriend outside of marriage. I suppose. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. No. <laughs> hey. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> Stop sleeping with your girlfriend. Okay. Um, I'm like apologize. Okay, hold on, hold on. Now I'm sweating. <laughs> sorry, sorry, yeah. Sorry. All right. So the Pharisee gave him the I suppose, and Jesus was like, Yeah, for the first time in this whole scenario, you made the right call. Yes. The person who was forgiven more loves more. And here's where he um, shows this to Simon. Then turning toward the woman, he said, Do you see this woman? This woman who's been sitting here and showing her love for me. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. And why this is important 
it was customary in that day when someone came over that, that as a host in the home, you would actually wash your feet because their feet were filthy. What this shows is this Pharisee never thought Jesus was a prophet. He never, he, what does it say in Star Wars? It was a trap. It was a trap. He invited him over his house to find some sort of way to prove, to disprove that he was a prophet. Because if he really thought he was a prophet, he would have at least done what was normal in that day and washed the dude's feet, washed Jesus' feet. But he didn't. As a host to the home, he didn't. But this woman she wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Wholehearted love, therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but he is forgiven little, loves little. And here's where we get the answer to the question. How can we grow in our love for Jesus? And the good news for you and me, it's not trying to love Jesus more. Oh, come on, come on, come on. You missed it. You missed it. See, if I said, how can you become a better basketball player? I'd tell you, you got to work harder. How can I become a better student? I got to study more. If you want to be better at anything, grow in anything, you've got to put in work. That's not how it's like with the gospel. To grow in love for Jesus, you put the faith in the work that Jesus already did for you. Oh, come on, Inspire Church, you're missing it. This is the best news ever. To grow in anything requires that I work. Come on, somebody, I hate work. I hate trying. I hate effort. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. I love just receiving. See, to be a good Christian, you have to be a good receiver. Wow. A good gift receiver. Wow. Yeah. Oh, come on, come on, come on. You're not lighting up like it's Christmas time. Yeah. A good gift receiver. Okay, maybe someone noble, someone who writes things on blogs. Okay, this is how this person puts it. I'll read what he has to say. One of the driving factors in true worship and love for Christ is an awareness of how much he has forgiven us. The point of Christ's story was not that the woman had big sin to forgive and the Pharisee had only small sin. The point was that true worship flourishes best when we are deeply aware of our own indwelling sin, our indebtedness to Christ. So he says it that way, but like I'm a simple guy, so I'll put it up this way. The more self-aware you are, of how much forgiveness you need, the self-conscious your love for Jesus will be. We talk about this woman's love being unhindered by self-consciousness. What made that possible? Where she went into this house and broke the jar and wiped the feet. Why was she so unhindered by self-consciousness? Because she was so self-aware of how sinful she was. And if you want your love for Jesus to grow, you have to become more self-aware of how forgiven you are. Wow. Wow. Sum it up this way. Jesus' is simple listen, lesson, forgive little, love little, forgiven much, love much. So what does this mean? Ed, do I have to go out and sin more so I can be forgiven more, so I can be loved more? Some of you are crazy. You're like, bet. Bad. I'll grow in my love because I'll just add some things to be forgiven for. No, no, no. Don't go out and sin more. Pay more attention to how the sin that you've already sinned against God is fully needing of God's love, grace, forgiveness. So as we land the plane on this third part and begin to land the plane on the message, here's the question to consider. How do you currently cultivate an awareness for how much Christ has forgiven you? With all the things that you do in your life, with all the rhythms of your life, if it really is true, the simple lesson is it, if you know you've been forgiven much, that's when you love much. Then my question for you is, how do you cultivate an awareness of how much you've been forgiven? 
What do you do on a daily, weekly basis to cultivate an awareness of how forgiven you are? And as I close the message, I'm going to give you hopefully a practical tool. But here's the summary of the message because I know I've said a lot. I'm sweating a lot of energy. I don't know if I'm preaching too long. It's 1130. So church started at 1030. Oh, you said you go about 90 minutes. Oh, no, it started at 10. And it's 1130. Oh, it's already been 90 minutes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. All right, I got, sorry, I, I, I totally, okay, I got to focus, okay. So the summary, the sinful woman's love, love unhindered by self-consciousness, the skeptical Pharisee's judgment, the unholy are unqualified for God's love, Jesus' simple lesson, forgive little, love little, forgiven much, love much. That's what I've said so far, okay. So now what? As we close, as we talk about now how we should respond, a practical response. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be what? Doers of the word. Doers of the word. And I'm thankful to the gentleman who I quoted earlier because he helps me with some, some words here that will help us develop rhythms to cultivate awareness around our sin so that we could be more aware of our sins, so we could be more in love with Jesus. And here are the words. Glance and grieve at your sin. Gaze in glory in Christ's love. Glance and grieve at your sin. Gaze in glory in Christ's love. Okay. So, guitar's about to play. You're going to just start to feel all the warm and fuzzies. And I'm going to do my best to close this message. Can I get just, just 10 more minutes with you? 10 more minutes with you. We'll close this thing up. The question was asked as we started, how can we grow, maintain, develop a deep love for Jesus? What we see in this story is this woman had an unhindered love for Jesus because she was so self-aware of how much she'd been forgiven. So what I want to lead you to, especially before we take communion, is I want us to just grow in our self-awareness of how much God has forgiven us. I want us to glance and grieve at our sin. This is going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be the doorway, the pathway to deeper love for the Jesus who you desire to love more. So why don't we do this? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Don't fall asleep on me now. Would you just consider for a moment what are those ways in which you've sinned against God and let's just this past week. The ways in which you've dishonored your parents. The ways in which you've not shown the appropriate love to your children. The ways in which you haven't honored your spouse and loved your spouse and respected your spouse. The ways in which you've been frivolous with your money and God has commanded us to steward our resources. But if we're being honest, we haven't stewarded our resources well and we know that is sin against the holy God. Some of you this week, you've dealt with jealousy. You've dealt with envy. I made kind of light of it earlier, but it isn't light at all. Some of you this week, you have struggled with sexual sin. And that's just this week. Now I want you to, for a moment, just go back a few years five years, ten years. I want you to think about those sins. Those seasons of disobedience. And let me just open up another category for you to think about. It's not just the sins you've committed, the bad you've done. You know, it's also sin to not do the good that God is calling us to do. So there's been times when God has been clear 
read your word more and, and you've just ignored his voice. There's been times when it's been clear. Get out of that relationship. Times when it's been clear. Stop spending your money that way. Stop idolizing food in this way. Stop running to entertainment for comfort rather than me. These are sins against the holy God. One commentator says it's, it's cosmic treason. But Jesus on the cross and the blood that was shed, it pays for that sin. What we should have to pay to God for all the times we've sinned against him, Jesus paid for it with his blood. For all the times I've neglected the voice of God in loving my wife and honoring him with my money and for all the times I've been disobedient, Jesus took the punishment for that disobedience. But he doesn't only take the punishment for it, he cleanses me of that disobedience with his blood. And then he gives me his Holy Spirit to live a life that is pleasing to him. The word today to you is not to love Jesus more. The word to you today is to see how forgiven you are. You're forgiven for all these things that disgust you, all these things that make you feel ashamed. You are forgiven through the person of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is the cause. Love is the effect. Love is not the cause. You don't love and then Jesus forgives. No. We love because he first loved us. Can you imagine? Imagine a rhythm. Daily, weekly. Just rehearsing the sins that require the forgiveness of God. Being more self-aware of how your sin requires Jesus' forgiveness. And as you become more self-aware, you become less self-conscious then of your Expressing your love to God and, and growing in your love for God. Can you imagine that when you open up your tables to people who are far from God because you've had weeks and days where you've grown in your self-awareness for forgiveness, you just let out and you just permeate a forgiving spirit. You permeate the forgiveness of God. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for Inspire Church. I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that some way, somehow, that this would be a place filled with the people who are self-aware of how forgiven they are. And as they become more self-aware of how forgiven they are, They grow in their love for you. And others experience their love for you. Lord, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for the cross. We thank you. Like this woman who paid a financial cost, didn't care about her reputation, showed this extravagant love. You're the better sinful woman who did this for us through the person of Jesus. You gave up everything. You gave up your reputation as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to walk among men. Your sacrifice cost you your life. It cost the woman ointment. It cost you your life. 
She served you by washing your feet. You served us by giving us your life. Thank you that ultimately this sinful woman doesn't point to us and how we need to love like she loved, but more it points to you and it shows how you loved us like she loved you. Praise you, Lord. And so now, out of the overflow of being overwhelmed by your love for us, we worship you, we receive communion. We love you, Lord. Bless Inspire Church in the season that lies ahead. Lord, for these table conversations, for this table series, for this season of groups, Lord, I pray blessing, I pray increase, I pray favor, and I pray a deeper love for you over everything else. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.